Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Listen Carefully. I'm your host, Jen, and we have a special guest today. His name is Ben Hakama, and he is here to share about financial planning as well as different ways to define wealth and what that means probably personally and also with your family. So welcome here to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So briefly describe what your background is or just how you got to being on this path and how it relates to your passions. And I know you have a family of your own as well. Um, so just, yeah, anything that you feel like would be relevant for um, parents and families. Absolutely. So uh, like you said, I'm Ben Hakama. Um, I am the founder of Illuminate Wealth Management. And so we work with clients all around the country Um and lots of different ages. Our youngest clients in their early 20s, oldest uh, is in their mid 90s. But um, primarily working with with probably the same people that are listening, um, parents who are kind of that sandwich generation of helping their kids, but also maybe have um, their own parents that they're having to provide for or support in some way. And um, I before I I started Illuminate worked for about 15 years at another. Um, company, a financial planning company, and then launched my business January 1st, 2020, right before COVID hit. And uh, a big reason for that was really about my family. I wanted to be able to to have the work-life balance that now is the buzzword, but was a big thing even then in my mind. And also um, wanted to be able to travel. That was a big thing. We, my family loves to travel. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old and um, just wanted to be able to have that flexibility because of the timing and COVID, uh, we have I have employees in a couple different states and clients in I think sixteen or seventeen different states. So um, really is virtual and remote uh, more than anything else. But we're we're focused a lot. You know what I see, especially in the finance finance industry, is there's a lot of shame marketing. There's a lot of things that say you need to you know you're not good enough. You need to do my way because I've got the best way. And and if only you could follow my standards or, or anything like that, you would be better. And I just think that's such a dangerous place to go with people. Um, I think there's a lot of optimism that should be there that we try to help our clients kind of see not what money is that the world's telling you, but what could it mean for you? And, and money's just a tool. It's not good or bad. It, gives you opportunities. If you use it right, it also can get you in trouble if you use it wrong. So I love how you pulled in, pulled in that element of consciousness, because like, I know the parents that I work with, they're trying to increase their consciousness, not from a place of like, I'm better, but just a place of like, what am I not aware of that? Like I could shed light on and using that awareness, like you said, as a tool, like how can we like shine the flashlight on like the darker places that Mm -hmm. are still part of us, you know, like in my belief system, I think money is one of the most important relationships that we'll ever have. We're going to interface with it every single day. So we might as well be friends, you know, Right, right. we might as well have a respectable, if anything else, relationship and know, you know, what our standards are. And I love that you pulled in the self-worth too, because, um, money and time seem to be like the biggest things that people have lack and scarcity around, you know? And, and I think that with the American dream, it's like, we're redefining how you said the work-life balance, we're redefining like 
wait, maybe health is my true wealth or maybe happiness is my success. And yeah, how can money be like a tool to help us get there Mm -hmm. um, without it being like, oh, I got there and it wasn't what I thought or, oh, I got there now. And that actually isn't the thing that I thought it was going to be because sometimes we hear these stories, you know, and then sometimes we think we're different because that's just the, the void of being human. It's like, wait, but it's just different for me. And then it's like, when you get there or when you arrive or, you know, work hard. And I think working hard is good for any, any endeavor, but like sometimes when people arrive to this like place that we say is like, you made it oftentimes it's like, wait, I think I missed the whole point, you know? Absolutely. It's when I, when I start working with a new client, one of the first things we go through is what I call the billion dollar question. If you woke up tomorrow and you had a billion dollars in your account and you didn't have to do anything bad to get it and it's there, Mm -hmm. how does that change your life? What, what are you going to do differently if money is no longer anything you worry about? Cause I can't, I, no one can imagine spending that much money. So what are you going to do now? What, when you wake up tomorrow, how is your life different? Where are you going to spend your time? Um, what are you going to do with the money? Who are you going to support? And it's just, you know, it's it's just a thought exercise to kind of go through and see how many things your day-to-day life, it, your, that money's the motiv- motivating factor or the limiting factor. Um, and then how can we, that's a great way to start on what really matters um, because mm-hmm. money is not, I, I think fulfill fulfilling in and of itself for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's just say the value changed. Like what if, um, dollars were not valuable anymore? What if it was rocks? What if people were like picking up rocks and being like, you guys, <laughs> do you know how long this rock took to form? <laughs> right. 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 Like, and it's crazy how, when we do assign that value to it, because if it wasn't dollars, it would be something else, you know, mm-hmm. like assign that value to it it doesn't have to be like evil or filthy or you know there doesn't you don't have to accumulate it in the wrong ways like how you're saying but um yeah I love that point of like it amplifies who you already are so it's like if you're a good person money in the hands of good people you can imagine what that could do or if like you're not a good person it's like the money can motivate you but it can also have like the illusion or the distortion or the hungry ghost, like the addiction quality too. Cause it's like, if we're always chasing something, if it's not the money, well, what then what is, what's deeper right. than what, what's so replaced there? Yeah. So I love how it ties into like the psychological impacts. I know that's something that you touch on too, just how like psychology um, impacts our decision-making and our impulsivity and I mean, even just how, again, how we relate to time, you know, time can be such an illusion, especially after we've gone through COVID, you know, where we've had to redefine our priorities and we had to like, kind of let go of the stuff that no longer matters. But, you know, sometimes with money, people will blame money, you know, versus like, why don't we just blame what we, what it actually is? (laughs) Right. Right. Maybe I actually just don't want to do that thing. Or maybe I'm just afraid, or maybe I'm, you know, feeling a certain feeling, um, which is what I help parents with too, of like their emotional tolerance. So I'm sure there's like that piece around psychology with like the financial tolerance, you know, what happens when people 
like receive more money than they're used to? Or what happens when like, do you view it that way? Like money in terms of self-worth or do you just view it very neutrally of like every person's on a different path? Like, cause I like to see it as like a consciousness, but I know that it's, oh, it's usually like so heady. It's so like numbers and like analytics that it's sometimes hard for people to drop into their heart around it because it can get so charged and triggered and we can really project, we can really project money onto anything, you know? Right. For sure. Well, so I'll I'll tell kind of a quick story and and this really, um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, just saying we have a relationship with money and we, we should hopefully are friends, but, um, you do have a relationship with money. And I had my oldest client passed away earlier this year. He was 97, but between my partner and I, we had worked with him for 30 years and even towards the end of his life, he would talk about things that happened to him when he was 16 and that's still uh, related to money, uh, you know, things with Great Depression and World War II and things that he grew up on. And and it still affected him at 97 on the way that he thought about giving money to his kids uh, when he passed or uh, charities that he wanted to support. He, he had a relationship with money and it doesn't go away. And he had enough, uh, however you would define it. He was comfortable at the end of his life and financially and otherwise, but he still had a relationship with money and you can't run away from that. So even if you think of it as it's all numbers and maybe you're somebody who doesn't like numbers and you say, oh, I'm just going to ignore it. You still have a relationship and your impulses and the things that you're doing matter. I've found that most clients fall in one of three categories. It's a spectrum and it changes. It's not every day, but the way most people think about money is one of three ways. One is I want to have money to feel secure. Uh, Money gives me security. And that's, I think a large percentage of the population fit in that category. Some of that could be how you grew up, maybe with insecurity, um, money insecurity, food insecurity, things like that. Uh, Or it could just be the way it is. My wife is definitely on that side. Uh, She and I grew up in a very similar like socioeconomic household, but we have very different views of money. She's definitely on the security side. I am on the second one, and that is an opportunity. Um, there's a reason I started a business. It, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, and I'm more risk-taking, and having money gives opportunity not just for making more money, but for experiencing new things and going on trips and all of those things. That's how I view it as the default. Um, sometimes the security matters, but opportunity is a big one. The last one, which I think is less common, but I have seen, especially as you kind of build wealth, you realize you have some vulnerability now, uh, whether it's people are going to ask you for money or you're more a target for fraud or any of those things. So security, opportunity, and vulnerability, knowing where you, having some self-awareness to know where you fall on that, I think really changes the way you view your decisions around money. Um, you don't have to know every number. But if you know, I think this more from the security side, you can recognize patterns of, wait, the reason I'm doing this or I'm spending money this way or I'm worried about the stock market or whatever that is, is because I want to feel secure. I want more because I want to feel secure. Mm -hmm. Great. Now that we know that, we've identified the heart of the issue. Now we can talk about how can we have a healthy relationship with that. Yeah, I love how you dig deeper and get to the root of it because 
yeah, like it is so important to be aware of our patterns, even if we don't like our values, we can always be honest with ourselves to see right, who right. we currently are. You know, like that is something I do with my clients too, is like the values assessment. And like, sometimes we think we want to value something, but like what we truly value is where we're spending our time, our energy, our efforts, our money, and our resources. You know, that's where, that's, what's going to show us where we're actually value what we're actually valuing. Even if like we want to value meditation, but we're just like not there yet, or we want to value, um, what, what would be the opposite of worry, like calm calmness. It's like, yeah. sometimes we can want to value certain things and maybe we're on our way to valuing those things. But, um, yeah, it can be so important too, to just like meet yourself where you are. And that's, that tends to be what people are most afraid of is just to like, see where they currently are, you know, but once you do that, it's a lot easier to, to be like, cool. Now we know the roadmap. Now we know where we're headed. Now we know what's next. But I feel like in a, in a world right now where, where things are a little bit more, I don't know if you would say insecure, but like things are more unknown than Mm -hmm. they have been. I feel like perhaps like just the different patterns of change that, you know, I think our planet's ascending. I think we're all rising to the next levels. I think we're all being like nudged to our purpose. You Mm -hmm. know, we're not really able to get away with just flying under the radar anymore. It's like, we have to um, be conscious in new ways and be just aware of our impact. Cause I feel like um, there can be um, I don't know if you're familiar with the dra- the drama triangle, but it's like the villain, the victim, and the hero. And it's like, in order to step out of that, it's like, how can we create empowerment for ourselves? But another thing that makes me think of is like the limiting beliefs or just the core beliefs that we have about ourselves. And I love that you shared the security, the opportunity, and what was the other one? Uh, vulnerability. And vulnerability. Yeah. Um because sometimes we can carry like that guilt of like, wait, wait, is this how I was raised or what I was intended to do with this? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. even just levels of receiving, like for some reason I keep coming back to that, like, cause I too am a business owner and it's been a slow growth, but it's been a progression, you know, and it's always continued to grow. And I'm subscribing to that of like, it just continues to grow, you know? But with each new level, it's kind of like, okay, like this is new again, you know, and then like you calibrate to it, you level up to it. And it's like kind of like playing your life like a video game. Like you just continue to go to the next levels and it stretches you, you know, and I just can't think of anything else that stretches me in that same way. Probably parenthood. I'm not Mm -hmm. there yet, but I'm imagining like being a parent is also something that stretches you like to know or to want more of that security too, just to know that like everything's going to be okay. You know? Right. We all, we all want, we all want that. Um, Mm -hmm. Although I also think life would be pretty boring if we are all just chill all the time. (laughs) But uh, no, I I think um, one thing that you said there that just really, took me down a path so sorry if i take us too far on a tangent but (laughs) i i think that we all you know every day we're spending we we have we're spending some money or we're doing something 
every whether you're in my field or completely the opposite mm-hmm. you feel like you know money a little bit because you have the the um you, you can touch it you got the dollars in your your wallet whatever it is mm-hmm. so you think you know it but unless you've spent time like i have over 15 plus years of really diving into it um you're not the expert you think you are and that's okay um but the world's telling you you should be <laughs> so um there's the realization that you don't need to know everything and that's fine but also recognize you don't know everything about money and there could be better ways that would free up your time or free up your thoughts whether you want to think about money or not i've got all sorts of different clients clients that they come to me with great questions because they're listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos about money that they're getting really in the weeds. And then I have other clients that I know if I talk more than five minutes about some numbers, they're gone. <laughs> that's that's totally fine wherever you all are, but understand that just because you use money doesn't mean you have a full grasp on on all the financial concepts and things like that. Yeah. Cause I'm sure there's like the structure, the strategy, the energetics, the decision-making, like even just planning for tomorrow today, even that concept is right. like revolutionary to people, whether they choose to save or live paycheck to paycheck, or whether it is like their socioeconomic status or, you know, there, there really is so many factors that play into that. And I saw one of your topics too, was like budgeting. And um, I like to think of that too, of like, budgeting your time, your energy, your, your value, Absolutely. you know, and, um, yeah. What are your ideas about budgeting? So I think we have to start with, um, there is a certain amount of money that you need to be able to do any of the positive, you know, financial things. There's a, a large percentage of the country that don't make enough money to do anything other than barely pay their bills or maybe not even get to that level. But if you're a, past that, where you at least have enough that you have some discretion on where you're putting money, where you're saving, that's where budgeting really comes in. And a big part is understanding, again, where do you have your money? I, It's it's a very um, common thing on you know financial blogs and things, but I think it works is to start with is the 50-30-20 rule. So the 50-30-20 rule says up to 50% of your spending should or income should go to fixed expenses. So fixed expenses are rent or mortgage, uh, car payments, student loan payments, uh, any debt payments that you have. Keeping that below 50% or half of your take-home pay is very important because you can't make changes to fixed expenses easily. You can make changes to the next category. That's variable expenses. So that's 30%, up to 30% uh, in variable expenses. And that's, I actually put food in the variable expense category um, because there's a wide range in how much you can choose to spend on things like food. Uh, And are you eating out every day at really nice restaurants or are you on the ramen diet? Um, You know, there's a big range on what you are spending on food. And so having between fixed and variable at about 80% is a a good healthy number to get to. And so I talk to people that are graduating college and they say, you know, how much can I afford? I have my first job. What do I do? I say, well, let's start with, you know, they're looking, how much can I afford for rent? Let's use the 50% rule. 
how much is your, are your student loans per month? How much are your car payment that you already have? Okay, here's what we have left over. If you're going to get paid X number of dollars, you can only spend this much on rent. And now that gives you a framework to not get in over your head and and have negative things happen. That last 20% that's left is is savings. So whether that's emergency fund, um, put it in a saving, high yield savings account, or saving for retirement or, or something else, college savings, there's a lot of different ways you can use that 20%. But if as you grow your income, you're only you're growing each of those categories um, with it, but you're able to stay in a really healthy range. That even if you lost your job or had uh, some health things that came up, you're in a fairly financially healthy way, and you don't have to get down to okay, I'm spending this much on my subscriptions and this much on um, this other category over here. At least start high level. I think is helpful for most people. That's a great approach. Yeah. I love how you build in the flexibility so that you have the space for the wiggle room, you know? Yeah. I have a lot of people that come to me and, and the first thing we do is cash flow, and they're spending 60% or higher on fixed expenses. They say, I, you know, I've been trying so hard to reduce my spending. I just can't, f- we've cut everything back and, mm-hmm. and that fixed is stuck. And that's what they're stuck on and they can't cut any more back on that. Um, that is the number one way. If anyone takes anything away, keeping the fixed expenses below the 50% is probably the most important to have a healthy budget. I like that idea. I haven't heard of it that way yet. Cause I, you know, I, I feel like being a business owner, sometimes the way I look at it is like, you, you don't always have the steady flow. Like sometimes it's dips. Sometimes there's like a larger cash injection that you have to like span out or sometimes it, you know, it just can be different or the nature of working with children. It's like, if someone gets sick, okay, they're not coming, you know, right, like, it's right. So it's different that I feel like, um, what would, what would be like the biggest differences you notice with like self-employed versus like hmm. employing? Uh, is so- that different? Well, there it is. Um, I, I actually do have several clients that are self-employed, but I would call them reluctant entrepreneurs. Um, they are entrepreneurs because they were passionate about their their craft in their area, um, and the only way they could pursue the life that they wanted in the job that they wanted was to start their own business. Um, as opposed to the people that say, "I really want to be a business owner, and I know my skills are to lead an organization," and that mm-hmm. is a an entrepreneur who is building a business versus a business owner who happens to have started their own. Um, For that category, I think it's, there's so little education out there on what do you need to know as a business owner? When you launch, you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And and that's the most dangerous part. there's a lot of things that you can do. There actually is, if someone's interested in in going deeper, there's a book um, that I I recommend all all the people in that category, which is uh, Profit First is the name of the book. And the thing I like about it is it's written for someone who doesn't really want to spend time thinking about money. <laughs> they want to go and and do the things that they want to do. And so it's how do you, again, have a healthy financial part of your business um, and the right concepts and it's very similar, honestly, to what I just said, the 50, 30, 20 on a personal side. 
but there is a lot of there's a lot of nuances when it comes to being a business owner that having the right partners, whether it's a CPA or a really good bookkeeper um, or a financial planner that knows the full business side, that's something that's well worth at least at the the onset, so that you're not getting in kind of the wrong way. But when you talk about whether it's uh, on the personal side, if you're talking about lumpy income, uh, you don't know where the next thing's coming from. That even makes it more important to have some extra savings on the side so you can weather through those um, those periods that aren't as fruitful. Totally. Yeah. <clears throat> and how would you say that the um, financial system has changed or is changing? Or what are your predictions or thoughts on just how we interface with Mm-hmm. So, I I would say only in the last really five years have I fully understood, you know, as I got to know more people in the industry, you know, you, you get your first job and you don't know what you don't know, just like everything else. And, and so everything either seems great or seems awful. And you get one biased view of the industry and then you move on from there and get more experiences. Um, looking back, I think a lot of people don't understand what when you hear the word financial planner or financial advisor where did that even come from um what does that mean when i say it to you it might mean something very different than what if i say it to somebody else and so i think it's important to know the history to know where we're going and so i'll I'll be real quick on this but historically financial advisors are either insurance salesmen who are trying to sell you a product say, I'm going to give you this really big whole life policy and here's all the beautiful things that are going to happen on paper. And then they never actually do. Uh, And the person selling it to you gets a really big commission check because you spot it from them. Or it's someone who's a stockbroker. They're helping you get access to investments. And that was basically it up until um, the late 90s, early 2000s. And then there started to be a little bit more of this, uh, what I'll call financial planning, which is focused on um, saving for retirement. And get, But it was all built about this retirement concept of retire at 65 and have all this money there. And the reason it was focused that way in the industry is because the way that the industry has built, uh, has built the way you get paid <laughs> is the way that people advise. And the way that a lot of firms that you see ads on TV for are you pay a fee based on the size of a portfolio. So the people that have the most money are those that are approaching retirement. So those in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are building their careers haven't really been served at all. And now in the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years, there started to be a focus on the full picture of finance. And so things like um, budgeting, as we talked about, or how do you build a business in a reasonable way? Uh, what What do we do about paying for college? not just build this big amount, but what's the right thing? How do we, how do we have a reverse retirement or a more stable retirement where it's, I'm going to spend more time now traveling while I'm healthy and younger and can spend it with my kids or whatever else, rather than delay everything to when I'm 75 and have a lot of money. um, There's a lot of changes that are happening and it's because it's real financial planning, not just sell you a product or get you, you know, some investments that you have. So while those things are important, you want to have life insurance, you want to have, you know, a reasonable portfolio. There are more and more, it's still only, you know, maybe 3% of financial advisors um, are 
doing what I'd call true financial planning, but it's becoming more every year. And I'm really hopeful for what that means because now there's, there's a lot of people that are able to be served that just weren't able to find a place to get the help they wanted uh, before. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that also brings up like how just everybody's lifestyle goals are different or can be different, you know, and passive income fixed and all these things, like it's just dependent on the family or the person or the goals or the ambitions, or even what you said at the beginning, like our upbringing can really impact how we choose to move forward, you know, whether that's like patterns in our life that we grew up with and we're like, okay, I'm never doing that again. Right. What we're willing to like put up with or what we're willing to tolerate or, you know. So what would be your um, recommendation or advice around like setting kids up for success just in terms of like how fast the world's changing and just how there's, they're probably going to be engaging in careers that like aren't even alive yet you know like they're gonna be like forging the way you know creating being trailblazers like they're gonna there's gonna be so many jobs that don't even exist right now because how fast the world's changing so like what are what are your take takes on like just how to set kids up for their financial literacy and that way that can be one less thing to stress about when they're like following their purpose. Right. Absolutely. So the first, first kind of goes back to something we talked about before is you don't have to, as a parent, you don't have to know everything to be a good role model and, and set your child up for success when it comes to finance. Um, actually the mistakes you've made eventually are actually great teaching things that you can be open and honest um, and say, this is a mistake that I made and here's what I learned from it. So no, you don't have to do it just like we do with the rest of parenting. Right. <laughs> and so um, that's really important. Um, obviously age appropriate conversations are good, but if we look at previous generations, there was no, there, you don't talk about money, right? That's one of those things you never talk about. And mm-hmm. thankfully that's changing. And I say thankfully because our children are going to learn about money either from you or from somebody else. And so I would much rather know that they're learning from the parent who is being intentional about the conversations than whatever they happen to stumble upon on the internet or their friends once they, you know, are also talking about money or what their coworkers who may have a really unhealthy relationship with money um, may talk about. And so again, it's all age appropriate when you're talking to, you know, whether it's preschool or elementary school, I think a lot of it is just the conversation about when you're let, let's say the grocery store and you're deciding between a few things, be open about it. Say, I am choosing to buy this because it's on sale and notice the difference. Just talk about the things that you're seeing and the decisions that you're making around money. It doesn't have to be, I make this much money and this is my mortgage and here's my budget, but it could just be everyday life, understand price comparisons and those pieces as they get older, as they get maybe a job uh, in high school or something like that, um, helping using to get, again, this 50, 30, 20 rule, just start there, start real small. Uh, when they don't have a big paycheck and they don't really have fixed expenses, still a really nice way to 
ingrain that in them, this is an appropriate concept to go through. Um, I am a big believer that if somebody has a job, um, which has its own uh, own pieces too, but if if you've got a high schooler who's got a job, make them do their taxes. Um, and you can do it through things like TurboTax and, and you don't have to know what you're doing <laughs> to help them on it. But I see so many parents who just do it for them and miss the opportunity to actually talk through what are you putting in here? And then they, they graduate and, and they go off and start a job or college or whatever that looks like. And then they don't have any idea on how to do a tax return or even that it's due uh, and when it's due, like all the things that you just eventually learn, let's teach them that. Let's go through again from an age appropriate way, um, all those different concepts. One thing that you should never do, and I see this a lot, I get questions about this a lot, is do not open a credit card in your minor's name. Um, some people will say, well, I need to build their credit and part of the credit history the, the length of time that you have a, a credit card uh, will impact your credit score. There are so many things that can go wrong and we don't even have time for that today, but I will just say, do not open a credit card in your minor, minor child's name, period. End of story. There's no good reason. <laughs> so just had to finish with that one. Yeah. Yeah. That That's also a really important concept. I think like leveraging credit, or using credit to build points or, you know, like, I feel like, um, I, I remember when I was a kid, I would just, I asked my dad, I'm like, Oh, just, just put it on the card. You know, like, <laughs> right. like I remember just seeing him swipe the card and I'm like, like, it's hard, like how you were saying before, like you feel the money, you see it, it's real. The cash goes farther when it's like in your hands, but like when it's just a number on a screen, it's harder to like, conceptualize it or mm-hmm. visualize it but I th- I always found that like a tricky thing as a kid to like wrap my mind around of like mm-hmm. well then why can some things go on the card and why can you know <laughs> right exactly understand but um there yeah. thankfully there are more tools uh, that are out there that even five years ago didn't exist um, one company that I recommend for a lot of my clients again I'm not affiliated with any of these things I just know they work right so um green light is a place you can get a debit card for a child. You can upload, uh, you can transfer money. And so this is, you know, primarily, you know, whether it's middle school, high school age, but um, gives them the concept of swiping the card, but there's a limit on how much money's on there. And they can, if they have a phone, they can get an app on it. There's ways to use that as a teaching tool. And I would much rather somebody have their card declined when they're 16 because they didn't have enough money on it and learn what that feels like at a much smaller level than when they have a job and they go out on a shopping spree and then they finally get the credit card bill and they don't have the money to pay for it. I'd much rather teach those concepts um, when they're still under your, your in your home. Yeah. And I think it is one of those like important lessons to learn that like has the direct consequence of like, Hey, you are powerful. Like you can create this outcome. Like, you know, you're, you're responsible enough to be in charge, you know, whatever that looks like or whatever that means. And I think that there are debit cards now that can help build your credit score if that's what mm-hmm. they want to do. You know? And I'm pretty sure Greenlight has that capability as well. So that's another reason to at least start that. And 
there's so much focus and rightly so there's so much of our life that credit score matters. Um, but if you don't have a healthy relationship with money, you're not going to be able to have a positive credit. Even if you have a, a high credit score, if you don't have a healthy relationship with money, it's going to eventually lead to problems. And so um, starting with the basics of not having shame around it, um, having a reasonable understanding of money going in and out, you don't need to know every single detail, but just understanding what you can afford that helps set you up. And then you can do things like how do we leverage credit card points? And um, we have, I have someone who works, works for me, uh, one of my employees, and he is all about the credit card. He, his, you should see his spreadsheets on all the cards and where to spend it on, on groceries versus gas and, you know, all the different categories and how to maximize it. And when can he take his trip to Europe using points, all wonderful things. You're only able to do that if you have a healthy relationship with money and you have a healthy uh, budget and savings and everything else. Totally. Yeah. That's how my dad is too. He's very (laughs) into the points. It's so funny. Like this card is best for going out to eat. This card is best for gas. This card, get get gift cards on the, on the card. (laughs) I started to go that way. And my wife got very frustrated with, uh, with how, how intense I was on some of those things. So I paired it back a little bit, but. Well, because when you make it like a game, it's it can be fun. But yeah, I think you're right. It comes back to like getting to that level of like security within yourself so that you can have the healthy relationship with it outside of yourself because it does start with inside of yourself. And like if you if there is that void, which is part of evolution, right? So there's always going to be a void. We're human. Our parents are going to do the best they can to help us in the ways that they can. But because we're growing and evolving, we're always going to perceive that, that void of like, this is what I didn't get. And it's not that it's our parents' fault. It's that we get to rise into that and be like, I needed this. So I'm responsible. Um, but of course, you know, it's, we're all works in progress. And I think it's cool to continue the conversation and just to be talking about it because yes, money and time, they're so taboo. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or it's and, like, oh, I was going to say, like when you hear that quote, when people are on their deathbed, it's like, um, they wish they had more time, you know? And it's like, we can, we can play with it if we talk about it more, you know, we same with absolutely. money, we can, we can play with it if we talk about it more and take away the charge and feel our feelings around it. And yes, become bigger than whatever struggle we're facing or, you know, adversity we have. And, and it's inspiring to talk about it. Cause like you said, with kids and parents, if, if kids know that their parents are human too, what a relief, you know? Right. Right. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think everything's, like most of life, it's a lot of it's about balance. And so, um, you know, even if I talk about my kids, I have one, my 10 year old, he is absolutely on that security side. He's just like his mom. And uh, my eight year old, my daughter, she is just like me. And uh, we are loud and obnoxious sometimes, but uh, we also are definitely on the opportunity um, side and less on the security side. And so what, what does that mean? You can translate that my son always has more money saved than my daughter. Um, if she gets something for a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or something like that, that money's not staying more than a week. <laughs> and, and even then that's crazy. And then my son probably still has money from three years ago that he's just saved. 
but there's a balance there where it's not healthy in either way if they're to their extreme at some point she needs to have a little bit more saved and he needs to spend a little bit he needs to use it what's what's it worth you know why did you give it it's part of it's again the money is not good or bad in and of itself it's just a tool um and so that's part of what we're trying to parent with our kids on getting him to spend a little bit getting her to save a little bit (laughs) and not shaming them for who they are but helping them work through their relationship with money yeah, and I love that you said that because it's not at that point, it's like not even about the money. The money is just amplifying who they already are. Right. Exactly. So, so the money is the tool. The money is the mirror. The money is the amplifier, you know, and that can be so powerful because yeah, that can instill levels of self-trust and knowing that, okay, like I'm safe to spend X amount so I can let it flow. And and see what that brings me or see if I put myself out of my comfort zone in a healthy risk way that I can feel what the difference is or, or like, maybe I enjoy that too, you know, learning a new way of doing something and being surprised by it and letting yourself grow too. Cause that's where the growth happens is outside of the comfort zone. So amazing to value security and inner security and self-worth and all the things. But at the same time, like you've, you've said, it's like the balancing act. It is the practice. It's not the, okay, I've got, got here. I've arrived. It's like, wait, there's always going to be more invitations to deepen or to grow or to expand or to stretch. And, and it's like, that all gets to be personal. It's like, okay, I want to stretch this time. Okay. I want to play it safe this time, you know? And that's where you find find your own tolerance, whether it is financially or emotionally or any any of the parenting ways. For sure. Totally. <clears throat> well, anything else that you would like to share today or leave listeners with? I know this was a very eye-opening, heart-opening conversation. Yeah, I mean, the only only thing I'll say is we do have a free resource that I want to point people to. Um, it's it, the website's dollarsandkids.com, and it's a free how to talk to kids about money, kind of age appropriate. It's a real short ebook. Um, what's interesting about my company is we have three people that have kids the same age, and so uh, we kind of walk through our own parenting a little bit and what we're doing. And uh, even though we all I'll have a 10 year old and an eight year old. Uh, they're different and every kid's different. And so um, just pulling out concepts, both with clients and then also just in our own life. I think it's a good free resource. Uh, yes, you have to put your email in. I'm not going to badger you. You can unsubscribe. That's totally fine. But uh, dollarsandkids.com, I think, is a nice, easy way to get a free resource. And um, if you want to find out more about us, just illuminatewm.com. And like I said, we work with people all across the country. Um, business owners as well. Uh, we talked about a little bit, but um, just want to help people have a healthy relationship with money. And uh, we talk a lot about having calming clarity. You don't need to know everything, but let's just be chill about our money and use it for the right things and uh, not worry about the things that don't matter. I love that. Yeah. And just giving people permission to be themselves and non-judgment and, you know, everyone is going to have different values. So very, very powerful to, I love the name. Cause it's like shine your light. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've learned that the last few years, if nothing else of like what really matters and 
where we want our legacy to go, you know? Absolutely. But uh, this has been, this has been great. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Take care, everyone.